Welcome to North Bay Christ the King. You're listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11 o'clock at our campus location in Birch Bay, Washington. Thank you for tuning in. Well, uh, we're coming into Thanksgiving week, so I need to tell the story of the second worst Thanksgiving ever. Uh, Katie and I were hosting it at our house. It was the first turkey that we had cooked together. And uh, so the bird goes in the oven in the morning, right? And the guests arrive somewhere around 2. But at 2 o'clock around dinner time, the the turkey is not even close to being done. Like this thing is half pink still. So no worries. We're going to let it cook for a little while. We're going to have appetizers just to get to enjoy the company. But then 3 o'clock rolls around. It's still not even close. And four o'clock, it's not even close. And five o'clock, and this bird is still pink. We're like, oh no. So then, after hours are passing, one of our guests, this is where it goes from bad to worse. One of the guests says, um, I have this medical condition where I have to eat. And I'm feeling like my levels are dangerously low. So not only is our meal totally ruined, but now we have this hypoglycemia condition or something else going on. And we're like, okay, well, let's um, eat some salad. So we have salad and we're waiting for this turkey to be cooked and it's still not cooking. And then the salad is done. So well, here's some potatoes. We might as well eat those. And <laughs> this is not good. It's somewhere around 7 o'clock, I don't know. Our guests are leaving, and finally the turkey is done. So we literally hand them these glad baggies full of meat as they're walking out the door. And I'm just praying, Lord, please not salmonella, please, please. Have a great night! Please no food poisoning. And just Okay, so that's how that went. It was not good. We found out later that our oven thermostat was broken. And so the, the right, okay. Anybody else have that happen before? I'm the only one. Oh, one per no. There's a couple out there. Okay, good. Okay, I say this the second worst Thanksgiving ever because from one perspective, the the last supper of Jesus, this new covenant meal, is arguably the worst Thanksgiving ever. And I want you to think about it. Jesus is in his upper room with his 12 very closest friends, and he's giving thanks as he's breaking bread and offering a cup. And it's so improbable because at this meal, literally one of his closest friends is possessed by Satan. At this meal, he knows he's going to be betrayed. And hours later, he's going to be arrested. And then he's going to be tortured. And then he's going to be killed. And in this meal, it's so, it doesn't seem like a good Thanksgiving meal at all. Like, Jesus, why are you saying thanks? So to help bring this into our context in this, you know, 21st century Western North America, I want you to picture four days from now, you're at your Thanksgiving meal, your very most loved people are around you at the table and the bird is done, it's cooked, okay? Your, your, your bird is there and it's just a feast. And then picture the, the host of the meal taking his little glass, ting, 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 And there's a quiet, and he says, I want to thank you all for being here. The meal looks great, but I have some bad news. One of you, my very best friends, 
is possessed by Satan. Like, this is a spoiler for a meal, right? Okay, one of my very best friends, one of you is possessed by Satan. And he called the cops on me and said that I planted a bomb at Quest Field. And I'm going to be arrested any minute now. And I'm going to be brought to the police station and the police are going to brutally beat me and I'm going to be tried in a sham trial. And 12 hours from this, ne- this meal, friends and family, I'm going to be electrified and more cooked than this bird. Like this is what's going on in the Thanksgiving meal of Jesus and the Last Supper. Arguably, you can say it was the worst meal ever. See, in our, our, flannel, our flannel graph memory, we tend to take the rough edges off of what was actually going on. We tend to downplay how brutal this was for Jesus. So I don't know about you, but uh, I only can find the courage about once every five years to watch The Passion of the Christ as the vivid reminder of just what that would meant for Christ to be crucified. And that's the backdrop and the setting of this new covenant meal where Jesus is saying thanks. I want to pick up uh, the actual text in Luke 22, and we're going to read uh, a little snippet of what was going on in that meal, and then we're going to develop what this looked like. So Luke 22, it says this. When the hour, had, uh, when the hour came... Jesus reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it amongst yourself. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and he broke it. And when he given thanks, he said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And you notice he's doing a couple things. He's giving thanks, but he's also talking about the kingdom. The Bible is telling the story of Jesus coming as king to inaugurate his kingdom. But shockingly, after this Thanksgiving meal, it would seem that his kingdom project is going way south. Why? Because the king was betrayed by the people he came to bless. The king was condemned by people he loved. The king was tortured by the people he came to rule. So from one perspective, you would think that Jesus has no reason to be giving thanks at this meal. And so, you know, in our our bumper sticker Christianity, we like to slap the easy thing on there and say, well, no, Jesus is giving thanks. He's going to die for our sins. We're going to be forgiven. And that is absolutely true. But this meal is so much more than about a debt to be paid. You see, this Thanksgiving meal of Jesus, he's celebrating his new covenant. And the new covenant is like the main course of a feast of covenants that's been going on for thousands of years. It's the culmination, it's the fulfillment of 
God's grand plan for his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And so Jesus is thankful on the evening of his crucifixion, the eve before his crucifixion, that his kingdom is about to take a major step forward. So we're going to look at what this feast has been for the thousands of years. So we're going to, we're going to look at four of the, the covenants, the main covenants in Scripture. And we're going to see that it's the culmination, it's the building, it's going somewhere uh, of God's kingdom coming. And the first course of this feast, we could say, is the covenant with Abraham. This is 2,000 years before Jesus lived. Ironically, God takes a man whose name was Abram, he, re, he takes him out of Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq. So we owe the father of our faith a debt to, uh, to an Iraqi. Isn't that ironic? And that the people of Israel came from an Iraqi. But, but we can say thanks for that, because that's the story how God made it. We're, let's pick up in, in Genesis 12 where this, where this begins. As the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. I'll bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I'll bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. See, in that upper room, Jesus has gratitude that the new covenant is fulfilling the covenant with Abraham. It's going to do three things we're going to look at. And the first thing, it's populating the kingdom citizens. See, God is setting up a real kingdom. It's not metaphor. It's not a symbol. It's a real, actual kingdom. So real kingdoms have people, right? If there's, if there's a kingdom without people, it's not a kingdom. And because God is making a real kingdom, then he needs citizens of that kingdom. And God is promising that his descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky or the sand in the sea. It's not just a few people in his family. But then he's also saying this, it's a certain type of family. God promises Abraham, kings are going to come from you. So we're talking dynasty. This is a royal family that he's establishing through Abraham. So at the Last Supper, when Jesus is celebrating with his, his apostles, he's so thankful because he knows that the royal family of Abraham this dynasty eventually is going to encompass billions of people over thousands of years. So whoever joins Abraham in faithful loyalty to God is included in this royal family. Can I pick on you just for one moment in the striped shirt? Yeah, what's your name? Jared. Jared. I, is it okay? Do I have your permission? Okay. Jared, you're royalty. If you claim faith in Christ you are royalty. You're adopted in the royal family and you're royalty. And you're royalty. We don't often live like it, but, but I think it's because we don't think his kingdom is real. But if it's really real, then, then those who are the people of faith, we're in the royal family. You're a citizen of God's kingdom. 
That's part of why Jesus is saying thanks in the Last Supper. So first, he's populating the kingdom. The second thing, he's locating the kingdom territory. So real kingdoms have real territory. Even Disneyland, which is the magic kingdom, is a type of kingdom. It has physical territory, right? You've been to Orlando or you've been to LA. Anybody out there? Yeah, okay, good, good. It's a real kingdom. Um, But if you're going to set up a real kingdom, you need a real territory, So later in the story of Abraham, he leads Abraham to what he calls the promised land. It's the land of Canaan. It's what we call now modern day Israel. I got to go there in 2018. It's a teeny little strip of land, but it is so strategically important. It's globally important, especially to Abraham and his people, because over here is all of Europe, and over here is all of Asia, and down here is all of Africa, and all of that connects and funnels through this teeny little strip of land. It's globally strategic. People have fought over that little postage stamp because whoever controlled that little area controlled all of the commerce and all of the transportation. So God is giving Abraham the very most important land for his kingdom to be headquartered. But the territory for God's kingdom wasn't just the little strip of land in Canaan. Because we're going to see in this next part of the Abrahamic covenant, God intends to bless all of the families of the earth through the royal family of faith. So it's not the, the place of God's kingdom we're going to see is not just little strip of Israel, but it's the whole earth. So that gets us to the third part of the Abrahamic covenant. He's mandating the mission of this kingdom. The mission of of God's kingdom is to bless. It's to bless all of the families of the world. All of them. God wants his goodness and his beauty and his mercy and his love to flow out through his people to all of the families of the world. So we can sum it up like this. What's God's kingdom? God's kingdom is God's rule from God's place that bring God's blessing through God's people to all of God's creation. That's what God's kingdom is. Okay, so I want you to look down at your feet right now. What do you see right below your feet? Everybody take a look down there. What's down there? What do you see? Anybody? What do you see? What do you see? Wood? Wood, okay. What else do other people see? Okay, maybe spilt coffee, that's cool. We're CTK, that's how we roll. But what's below our feet is the earth. That's what's below our feet. That means the very place where you stand is the place God intends for his blessing to flow. And and that's how his kingdom works. He wants to bless all of the world through you. We're conduits of his blessing. We could even say this, Jared, I'm coming back to you, picking you again. We could put it like this, Jared, what are you? You are God's sprinkler. Let's say it, okay? This is what you are, okay? I was in youth ministry for a little bit. This is what you are. I'm sorry, I'm apologizing. I'm doing the sprinkler. It's not so good, okay? But that's who we are. I can also blame Chris Hanline. He taught me the lawnmower too, which goes like this. You pull the string and then you're driving. Okay. Clearly I'm not in youth ministry anymore for a reason. Okay. 
We're sprinklers. We've been designed to receive the love and the blessing of God. And through us, God wants it to, to, to spread throughout the whole world. Okay, I have another application. I'm asking for your, your promise that you're going to do this. I'm just going to ask, would you just nod your head that you're promising you're going to do this? It's going to be worth it. Just I need your commitment up front, okay? I'm seeing a few head nods. There's maybe three. Next time you're in Costco, okay? And you've just gotten the third elbow to the chin. And you've just been cut off for the fourth time. Or maybe the person backs into you and clips your heel with the cart. When you're in that place, I want you to look down. And I want you to see the world beneath you. And I want you to remember that is a place where God intends his blessing to come. Even in Costco, okay? That's the place where his blessing is supposed to come. Jared, I'm coming back to you. <laughs> Isn't it great? Like, like sermons are not like comedy clubs, because if this is a comedy club, you could be chipping back at me, but you're not allowed to do that, are you? <laughs> I love it. This is good. So Jared. Okay. Jared, there is nobody else in the world that has your unique set of relationships, friends, coworkers, families, neighbors, enemies. There's nobody has that group of people around you. You're strategically placed to receive God's blessing, to bring his blessing to those places. Jack, you're strategically placed. Jasmine, you're strategically placed. Chase, you're strategically placed. Nobody in the world is situated just like you to bring his blessing, to receive his love, and to share that love. That's the place of God's blessing. That's why Jesus is thankful. On the evening of his crucifixion, that's why he's thankful. So all of this gets wrapped up in the first course of our meal, the Abrahamic covenant. But we have to move on to the second course of this feast. It's the covenant with Moses. So if you remember the story, we have God's royal family. It's the children of Israel, uh, the children of Abraham. They become the children of Israel. And they're supposed to be this dynasty, this royal family. They're supposed to have kings ruling from them. But what happens? They find themselves in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. They're supposed to be ruling, but instead they're making sneakers in Pharaoh's sweatshop. It's what's going on. So God calls Moses. He's like, Moses, I want you to go set my people free. And then if you remember, it's like the plagues, it's frogs and boils and like, was it like, is it fleas or gnats or it's, it's the worst. I think for me, the worst would be frogs. Like, think of it. Millions of frogs everywhere. <laughs> You're driving to work and it's just frog slaughter. It'd be the worst. It'd be terrible. Okay. <sighs> Seriously, that is sick. You're right. It's terrible. But they escape Egypt in the Exodus. They come to Mount Sinai. And then this is the place where God makes another covenant in order to establish his his kingdom. We call it the Mosaic Covenant. And part of that is the laws, the first 10 commandments, and then God adds in 603 other laws. But all of this is the law. 
It's so important to understand the context of that law. So we're going to read it from Exodus 19, uh, starting somewhere around verse 3. God says this, and as you hear this, I want you to hear the love that God has for his people. It's not just a general, vague love for all of creation. It's an individual, unique, personal love for his people. I want you to hear the passionate, personal love for his people. So it says this in Exodus 19. The Lord called to Moses out of the mountain saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought me to myself. Do you hear the love of that in that? I bore you on eagles' wings. I brought you to myself. And now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession. My treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you shall speak to the people of Israel. See, we like to take the law of Moses and make it this super strict regulation, but, but this was God is regulating his people for his kingdom. He's making a kingdom of priests. And he's conveying in all of this his deep, deep love for his people. So now we can begin to see why the people of God can be a blessing to all the families of the earth. It's when we receive his love that we have love to give and it will be a blessing to all the families of the earth. So Jesus in his new covenant meal, he has gratitude that that this is the fulfillment of the covenant with Moses to regulate the kingdom in love. So we've said that God's kingdom is a really real kingdom. So real kingdoms have laws. If you don't have laws, you have anarchy. And God's kingdom is really real. So, so the law of God's kingdom... Laws always, they have these, these two components. So any law for any government, there's a vertical component, right? Where, where it dictates how the people are to interact with the rulers or with the government, this vertical component. And then laws have this horizontal component. It's like how you're supposed to interact with other citizens. And that's exactly what God's law does. The first five of the Ten Commandments is the vertical part of the relationship. You're not supposed to have any idols before him. And you're supposed to love him alone and worship him alone. That's the vertical component. And then horizontally, it's like, listen, don't take your neighbor's stuff. Don't lie to your neighbors. Come on, like, uh, don't, don't kill them, please. Please. <laughs> Please don't kill them. That's what laws do. And Jesus takes all of the laws and the prophets and he sums them up in one word. That the way we're supposed to interact with God is by love and the way we're supposed to interact horizontally with the people around us is by love. We can see that in Matthew 22. Somebody actually comes to him and, and says, Teacher... 
what is the great commandment of the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. There's the vertical component of the law of his kingdom as we're loving him most of all with everything we have. Jesus says, this is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's the horizontal component. On these two commands depend all the law and the prophets. So if you want to go and you want to take the United States laws of this country, you're going to print them out. (laughs) You're going to have hundreds of thousands of pages. Just the tax code, 75,000 pages. Of just tax code. Awesome. Yeah, we're coming up on year end. Get those 1040s going. Hope you read all 75,000 pages so you know how to pay your taxes. But, but the law of God's kingdom is one word. It's one word. It's love. That's what governs the relationships in God's kingdom. It's love. So I want you to consider the opportunity that you have right now as a citizen of God's kingdom, as a member of the royal family. So I want you to, if you could do this with me, picture all of the stuff that you have. All of it. Like, in your mind, just dump it into a big pile. So put your car in there and your home and all of your clothes and, and your, your computers and your phone and your bank account. All of it. Just picture the big mountain in your head of all of that stuff. It turns out that's not yours. None of it belongs to you. All of it belongs to King Jesus. But he's entrusted that to you as a resource for you to steward in a way that brings blessings and other people. Everything that you have, every dime in your bank account, every minute in your day, every breath that you have belongs to the King. And you have an opportunity to spend that in a way that brings blessings to the people that are around you. Because it's to the degree that you love God and others is the degree to which God's kingdom comes in your life as it is in heaven, in your home as it is in heaven, at your workplace as it is in heaven, your kingdom coming in your neighborhood, in your school, in your family, in your big box membership club store, as it is in heaven. Somebody's a Costco shopper over here. (laughs) Okay, all right, that's good. So that brings us to the third course of our feast. It's the covenant with David. So if you know the story, uh, God's royal family, they, they come out of slavery of Egypt. They're there 400 years. They wander the desert for 40 years. Eventually they get to the promised land, the place where God's kingdom is going to become headquartered. And God taps the shoulder of a shepherd boy in Israel. He dumps oil on his head. He's anointed. That's what it means to anoint. David is anointed to be king over Israel in the promised land. David, it turns out, is a descendant of the royal family from Abraham. And God makes a covenant with David. And as a little aside, we need to know that term anointed, when you pour oil over somebody's head, the Hebrew word is mishiacht. 
or Messiah. That's where the word Messiah comes from. When that gets translated into Greek, it's Christ. So Christ is the anointed one, is the Messiah. And David is anointed to be king over Israel. So we're going to pick that up in 2 Samuel 7. This is the third course of our feast, the covenant with David. And the summary statement of it is this. God tells David in 2 Samuel 7, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. The covenant with David is about coronating the king. And that's why Jesus is grateful in that new covenant meal. That the son of David receives an eternal throne over an eternal kingdom. And so the Davidic covenant is about coronating the king. It's identifying that this son of David is going to sit on an eternal throne. And Jesus knows that he's that son of David. He knows it. So when he's giving thanks in the upper room... He knows that he's the eternal king sitting on the eternal throne. And remember, God is setting up a real kingdom and real kingdoms have a real king. And Jesus is our really real king. If you know the story then, you know that the literal son of David, uh, Solomon, becomes king but he's not really living up to the law of God. And it's a little bit of a train wreck. We could say it's a major train wreck. In fact, all of the kings following from David, they're all abandoning God's covenant. Some of them to one degree or another. It gets so bad that God eventually takes the whole nation and chucks them into slavery in Babylon. Remember Abraham came from Babylon? He's starting way back where it all came from. It's like, go to your room. <laughs> but the royal family is not enthroned. They're in slavery again. Eventually they get out of Babylon, but there's this period of about 400 years between the close of the Old Testament and the opening of the New Testament, and it's just crickets chirping. Where's God's promises? God's people wonder. What about the covenants? What about the kingdom? It's silent for 400 years. And the opening page of the New Testament in Matthew 1, 1, when you read that, a lot of times we just blow right through it. We kind of skip right through it. But the first sentence of the New Testament, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. When you read that, there should be a massive explosion in your head. 
and you should be seeing like fireworks going off because it's such a big deal. It's the culmination. It's the fullness of all of these thousands of years, all of the covenants. He's the son of Abraham. He's the son of David. He's called Jesus the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the King. And I hope the next time you read that, in your mind you see the explosions and your fireworks because it's a really, really big deal. Because there Jesus is, the son of David and the son of Abraham. He's going to claim his throne. This is the main course of the feast in the new covenant. It's the, it's the living under the rule of the king. Sitting on his eternal throne, ruling over God's royal people to bring the blessing of God to all of the world in love. That's what we celebrate at communion. So it's the main course of the feast. We finally come to it. It's the new covenant of Jesus. And there's two parts of it. There's the commemorating what happened in the past. We're commemorating the king's sacrifice. We're looking back. It's a looking back of what Jesus did and remembering his sacrifice. But then it's also an anticipation. We're anticipating. It's a looking forward that his kingdom, although it's already here to a degree, one day we anticipate the king is going to return and it's going to fully come. His kingdom will fully come. So this meal is the commemoration and it's the anticipation. That's what communion is. It's about God's kingdom coming through God's people to bring God's blessing to all of the families in God's world. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. Invite ushers to begin preparing communion. And we're going to be taking communion right now. And we're going to be giving thanks. For people that are uh, either new to faith or exploring faith, this is something that we do to remember our King. And anybody who is a follower of Jesus, we invite you to take the juice and the bread as a reminder of God's goodness. So we're going to, uh, the elements are going to be passed down the row. You just take some of the juice and take some of the bread and, and, and hold on to that because we're going to, we'll, we'll partake all together. But I want you to find yourself in the story. I want you to ask yourself, where am I in this whole kingdom story? Maybe, Maybe you have no idea that God's kingdom was real. It might be that you start living as if Christ is really the king that he is. It might be that in this communion time, you need to real, realize that you're royalty. That you are part of the royal family, no matter your story your faith in Christ gives you membership to royalty. It might be that you need to reconsider how you're stewarding what God has entrusted to you. Your time, 
your financial resources, your, your home. Maybe it's time to start stewarding that on behalf of the king to be a blessing to others. Or it could be that what you most need right now in this time is just to say, Lord, thank you for all of the blessings you've brought into my life. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So I invite the ushers to come down and to hand out the communion elements right now. Royal family, sons and daughters of the king. In kingdoms of this earth, it's the lives of the people who die on behalf of the king. The people shed their blood on behalf of the king. But in God's kingdom, the king sheds his blood for the people. So this is the blood of the king given for you. Take and drink. And this is the body of the king broken for you in love for you to receive and to be a blessing to others. Take and eat. And Father, I, I thank you for each person here Thank you that you personally, individually, uniquely love each person here. That your kingdom is ruled by love. And that you, Lord Jesus, considered us worthy giving your life. Lord, I'm asking for your kingdom to come in the lives of each person here in the workplaces, in the homes, in the marriages, in the schools, in the communities? Would your rule and reign increase in our lives, in our hearts, Lord? We know there's places in our hearts where there's still darkness. Would you capture territory in our hearts for your rule and reign, for your glory, for your love to be spread abroad? I pray your blessing on these people here. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.